Hello and welcome back to Brailcast, the podcast keeping in touch with the world of Braille. Coming up on this edition, we live in a world where you have to learn to write and you're not going to be able to do that very effectively if you're only using an audio recording, even if somebody spells it out, you have to remember it. I found that I was able to spell words a lot more efficiently and remember them a lot better when I read them. We hear from Scott Davitt, a Braille advocate and deafblind specialist from the state of North Carolina. Scott sits on the Disability Advisory Committee for the Federal Communications Commission in the United States. And Scott is also an active contributor to the AppleViz community, where he's written extensively about the highs and lows of Braille support in Apple products. Scott has recently had a series of articles reviewing a range of portable Braille displays published in Access World from the American Foundation for the Blind. Scott's expertise has also been shared in the UK through the RNIB Connect website. Our conversation covered a wide range of Braille issues, including the state of Braille, quality control issues faced by blind students, and a roundup of some recent Braille products. We started, though, by explaining where Scott's Braille journey began. I started at the age of five, actually learning Braille, and now I use it every day. Uh, all the time. And um, was that in a school for the blind? No, uh, I was mainstreamed my whole way through school. And uh, there was an actual program within the school system that I attended uh, that taught me Braille. So what happened is I would go to all mainstream classes. And while the sighted peers or my sighted counterparts were learning to read and write print, I was learning to read and write Braille. Tell me about your Braille teacher. She was very engaging, you know, as far as uh, working with young kids, which is really important, you know, developed flashcards the same way, especially when we got into contracted Braille, the same way my sighted counterparts were doing flashcards in print. So, for example, she'd flash up the letter B, and I have to remember what is the one-letter contraction for B, which is, of course, but... When you left school, Scott, you'll be aware, lots of kids that learn Braille, they kind of let it wither a little bit. Often as teenagers, we don't always identify with it. Did you have that experience or have you you been a pretty strong Braille user all the way through? Early on, I was uh, pretty much everything that I needed, all my materials were in Braille. But as I went through and as we had a lot more of a push for audio here in the U.S., I think it's pretty much a worldwide thing. That kind of worked for me for a few years, and it was really heavily emphasized. You know, you have to use audio. It's easier than Braille anyway, and it's, you know, of course, cheaper and it's more portable. By more portable, we mean a whole box of cassette tapes at this point. I didn't really like it. You know, my learning style is, I'm sure, if I had vision, I would have been a very visual learner. Um, that is the way in which I am able to process information the most reliably. And it may be a little slower than audio sometimes, although not often, but it's more reliable and for me personally. And then as I went on in school... I started to develop a hearing impairment. I wasn't born with it. It was one of those uh, unwanted features that I happened to acquire. And so it really started to become more of an issue for me of, I can't understand the cassette recordings. I have to have Braille. And even then, I still had to really push for it, especially 
not so much in school, um, you know, high school and all those things, but especially when I got to college. What did you study there? My undergraduate degrees, I have sociology and psychology, and then I did a minor in creative writing. Given your hearing loss, do you think you would have been able to achieve that without Braille? No way. Absolutely not. There is no way that I could have done a lot of the things I've done, you know, especially when you start looking at things like specific vocabulary and terminology for the degrees that you're specializing in. Okay, it's great if you can understand what it sounds like and you can speak it verbally, but we live in a world where you have to learn to write and you're not going to be able to do that very effectively if you're only using an audio recording, even if somebody spells it out, you have to remember it. I found that I was able to spell words a lot more efficiently and remember them a lot better when I read them. Now, for Brailcast listeners who are not familiar with you, Scott, can you just outline your various Braille-related activities at the moment? I see your name popping up all over the place, AppleViz, the RNIB website. Uh, you've had some articles recently published in Access World where you've reviewed, I think, half a dozen portable Braille displays. I see your name popping up on the, uh, the Vario Ultra list, the Orbit Reader list. You're a busy guy. I'm not even familiar with me sometimes, or so it seems. But yeah, I'm doing the best I can really to not only promote Braille itself, but to promote Braille accessibility. But for me, Braille is more of a need and a necessity than it is a luxury. Not that one is necessarily more important than another. I mean, if you're blind and you have perfect hearing, there are people who, for example, can't interact with touchscreens. So they want an interface that they can use that will allow them to uh, not have to use the touch screen. And then you also have people, like I was saying earlier, who absorb information way better through reading. Uh, now that said, yeah, I'm doing what I can on AppleViz. I just published a podcast along with a transcript of that podcast, which was the first AppleViz podcast to do this, uh, covering the new features since iOS 11 and onward. I reviewed Windows uh, Narrator with Braille in Access World. Uh, there's also an Orbit Reader review in there. And on top of that, uh, I also serve on the Disability Advisory Committee for the Federal Communications Commission. That's our telecommunications regulator here in the U.S. And I uh, also work as a deafblind service specialist for the state of North Carolina. All these things aren't always everything Braille, but Braille certainly plays a crucial role in all these different things that I do. How would you describe the current state of Braille? What shape is Braille in at the moment for you, Scott? Braille is, in a lot of ways, advancing, I think, in the technology realm of things, which is where a lot of people are thinking nowadays. There are a lot of advancements, but we also kind of get a lot of these situations kind of like when you're in a car and you're in a lot of traffic, it's start and stop, start and stop, and then Sometimes when you think you can get over into another lane to get out in front of that traffic, uh, things get in your way and you can't do it. Uh, and I think that's kind of where we're at now with it, you know. But in terms of how have we advanced to where we are now, we've come a long way in even the last five years. For example, when I'm on my iPhone, I can do pretty much everything on my Braille display, uh, whether that's using Seeing AI looking to get my current bank balance, you know, all these different things that 15 years ago I could have never done with Braille. And as someone who has come into this, who was at one point pushed to do audio, I'm very grateful 
that I am presented with the opportunities I have because a lot of the things that I used to enjoy in audio, I can now still enjoy with Braille. It certainly seems to be the case that if you know where to look for it, we are surrounded by Braille. There's Braille in every Apple device. Uh, We're seeing Braille now included with Microsoft Windows. Kindle has Braille now on some of the Kindle Fire tablets, and that's really good news. And hopefully, with more affordable Braille technology, there's going to be more Braille than ever. Do you think the demand is there? Are kids in school being given the opportunity that you had to learn Braille? Well, I think that a lot of kids are, in some ways, getting more opportunities um, in the sense that a lot more is being done to push refreshable Braille, which is a good thing. But the industry needs to be able to work with that. You know, looking at, for example, Windows Narrator, I mean, the Braille support is there, um, but good luck trying to Braille very fast, um, you know, on the uh, Braille Display's keyboard, because uh, there's a lot of issues there, particularly with contracted Braille. And that's not unique to Windows. Uh, Android has this problem. The Kindle Fire doesn't quite seem to have that problem. It has its own challenges, but that doesn't seem to be one of them for me. Uh, Even iOS, which now has the ability to contextually understand what you have typed, uh, has some cursor issues. So really, we've come a long way. We've done a lot, but we still have quite a ways to go. Do you think... With the huge quantity of Braille technology that is now available, that quality has suffered? I guess it sort of depends on what the person is trying to do. Some school districts, from what I've seen, aren't necessarily taking the time to properly produce hard copy Braille, which in turn leads to situations like not being able to scan, for example, down to the next paragraph very easily. Um, or sometimes not even learning the correct rules of the Braille language or Braille code, rather, I should say, that you're using. Um, You know, APH calls it a quick and dirty edit or a quick and dirty translation, and unfortunately that's sometimes what a lot of school districts are now using. Have you found that to be the same in the UK? I think sometimes there is the suggestion that if you use a screen reader to produce braille then that's enough and of course screen readers don't give you a lot of the layout that you would get in hard copy braille or the ability to skim your finger down a margin to find you know a particular item so there does seem to me to be still a requirement for multi-line braille whether that's hard copy or whether that's some sort of new multi-line refreshable braille display you wouldn't expect a sighted person for example uh, to read from a single line display so so yeah on the code it's two years now since the united states adopted unified english braille in some states students are still using nemeth to do their maths. Can you comment on that and why that is? I think part of that is, and I'm not familiar with UEB math so much as I am Nemeth Code, but uh, part of that is, for whatever reason, uh, educators and the like seem to think that Nemeth Code is far superior to UEB Braille uh, in terms of math. So you're still seeing a really hard push. Now, what I think some of it is, too, 
is that you have this resistance to change. And that's, you know, that's that's really uh, a big thing over here, even at the moment. When, when you guys went through UEB changes and you're way ahead of us on that front, uh, did you have that? Did you have a lot of growing pains? Did you have a lot of resistance to the change? I think so. Part of that was to do with the way the change was communicated rather than the changes themselves. There was a sense that people felt it had been taken out of their hands and a decision had been made about the future of Braille uh, that didn't include them. So people were frustrated and um, they let their feelings be known. But, you know, like a a lot of these sorts of changes, it's probably generational. And I suspect in, you know, 20 or 30 years time, no one will even, uh, you know, be concerned about it. People will have grown up learning UEB. And it's not that dissimilar. Most of the contractions are still there and all the letters and numbers are still there. I guess for us in the UK, the math is more similar to our standard English Braille that we had before UEB. So there isn't quite that that leap that you have from Nemeth to UEB mathematics. The thing that Nemeth has going for it is it's very compressed you know, in just a few cells, you can express quite a lot of mathematical content. UEB does seem to require additional cells. I wanted to come on to Android, Scott. You mentioned that you contribute to Apple Viz. And of course, Apple, rightly so, have received uh, much praise for including Braille support right out of the box, in spite of the problems. Why do you think it is that we don't have that on Android just yet. Well, uh, it's all speculation, of course. Um, and I have worked with Brailleback and Android uh, to a lesser extent, BRLTTY. I, I think it's just a lack of, I don't want to say care, but a lack of dedication of resources to Braille. And what some of the Google people have said now in like the last several months is, well, you have solutions on Android. Look at the Braille Sense Polaris and the Braille No Touch, uh, which to me is missing the point. You know, we have all these uh, different organizations praising Google who also praise Braille literacy. But I think in this case, and a lot of different instances, there's a disconnect there. I don't know what that disconnect is, but the simple fact of the matter is there's just lack of engagement on Google's part to do anything. Now, there is a public beta of Brailleback that's been around for quite a while now where they're trying to bring contracted Braille input to Brailleback, but there aren't a lot of changes in it. And the last public release of Brailleback was, what, December 2015, I believe? So it's been... Two, over two years now since we've had a release. Yeah, you know, there's all these particular issues on it, not only with text input. We'll throw that out for a minute because that's not necessarily a unique problem to Android. But what is kind of a unique problem is the fact that not even all native Google apps support Braille. They support TalkBack, uh, but not Brailleback. I'm guessing because of web views, I'm not really quite clear on the behind the scenes of it. I just know as a user, the... Uh, compatibility is not there. It's truly fascinating to me, Scott, that Amazon have provided Braille baked into Fire tablets, the Kindle Fire tablets with their voice view screen reader. Those include Braille now out of the box. And it seems that Peter Korn is doing good work at uh, Amazon. Yet, if you buy an off-the-shelf Android device, you need to add Braille back if you want any kind of Braille access. I think a lot of it is the industry just isn't familiar with 
the challenges and the benefits of bringing Braille access to their products. You know, even Google employees, I've sat in presentations, for example, when I lived in New York, we would have presentations in Manhattan quite often from people from Google. And they would say, yeah, we have Brailleback. And I would, of course, ask them about it. Oh, okay, you have Brailleback. How does it work with contracted Braille? Obviously, I know the answer, but I want to hear what their perspective is on this to try to do exactly that, understand what it is that I can do to push this forward. And usually the answer has been, I don't really know. Um, I just know that there's a feature that's there. We know there's a link between Braille literacy and the employability of blind people. What's the most effective way, do you think, to advocate for more blind people to use Braille? I think part of it is working toward awareness. I think it really does come back to that, even in some instances here in our own community, showing people, hey, look, you can do this with Braille way faster. For example, space with F on the iPhone doesn't always work. But if you're, say, in settings, for example, and you want to go directly to general, I can hit space with F, type G-E-N, press enter, and I'd say 95% of the time it jumps me right to general. I don't have to flick around. I don't have to guess where it is on the screen. Uh, I think to some extent within our community, that sort of thing is helpful. Also, yeah, you are listening to that, but you could also not have to listen to that and have your ears free to listen to the environment around you and still discreetly work with whatever piece of technology you're using. Okay, you have this textbook and it's in audio format. Well, guess what? I can use a search feature on it and find the information I'm looking for much more quickly uh, than I can do with audio because we really don't have a lot of synchronized DAISY content with audio and text at this point. Within our community, it's one kind of education and awareness, and to the rest of the world, so to speak, it's a different type of awareness. Uh, but it really all comes back to that. Knowing what you can do and knowing the benefits of using Braille over audio and understanding that maybe audio is what you use sometimes. There's nothing wrong with that. I want to take this opportunity, Scott, to thank you because you are somebody who is uh, spreading the word about Braille and explaining the options that are out there and how to do things and sharing tips. And that's very much appreciated. And on behalf of everybody who reads your articles and reviews, I want to thank you for that. What are you excited about now, Scott, going forward? What's really got you enthusiastic about the next step for Braille? Well, my enthusiasm is a little curved, I guess you could say, because of a lot of the things that we were promised two or three years ago are still not on the market. But what's actively on the market that, I mean, it needs further development, in my opinion, but I think it's a really cool thing, is that I really like the idea behind the dot watch. Yes, I know it's a four-cell display, and no, you're not going to want to read a book on it any more than a sighted individual is going to want to read a book on an Apple Watch or, you know, a Fitbit. That is kind of an amazing concept. And if they can get the uh, production of the Braille cells nailed down to make it so that they are reliable, that could be a really huge game changer, especially for people who are deafblind, who don't really have a reliable way at this point to interact with the Internet of Things. For example, they have now a smoke alarm and a carbon dioxide alarm. They have doorbells. They have all these different things. But there's no easy, reliable way for someone who is deafblind to interact with them. But think about that for a minute. You can't hear, you can't see, and now you have this watch that will vibrate on your arm and let you know 
oh, you have notifications. Somebody's ringing your doorbell. Yeah, and paired with some of this artificial intelligence, I mean, potentially you could conceive of a system where the technology could recognize the person at your door and put their name on your Braille smartwatch. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it obviously takes a bit of um, finagling and you have to set it up ahead of time. But the, the, the fact remains, you can now possibly identify whoever is at your door, which is amazing. So... There are lots of rumblings, and I don't know, you know who you test for or who you have uh, NDAs with, Scott. So I'm just going to fire out some names of Braille projects um, or products uh, that are new or imminent. Uh, and you can just tell me very succinctly your take on those products. Let's start with the elephant in the room, the Orbit Reader. I have that elephant in this room, as it happens. <laughs> I like it as a note taker. I think it's uh, to quickly be able to hit one button and there you go. You can be right there to take notes or right where you left off. I think it's a great thing. Lack of cursor routing buttons. That could be an issue, particularly on Kindle. Noisy, sure. More noisy than typing. No, I don't really see it that way. I mean, it's not. Uh, it's certainly not a Braille embosser. What do you think about the Orbit? You've seen it, right? I have. I have. And I'm optimistic. And I know people are frustrated about the time it's taken to come to market. But I would rather it be late and right than uh, premature and undercooked. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so the dot watch you've already talked about, Braille Me. I guess the biggest drawback from what I know of that technology is kind of like what you have on the dot watch, which is you have to move your hand off the display while it's refreshing. Blytab? Blytab is an interesting um, thing. One reason it's kind of interesting more than some of the others is the way that it supposedly runs off Android. I'm afraid they're going to run into a lot of issues there with the way Android renders content. I don't know if they're using BRLTTY or Brailleback, but I think it's a great concept. I think if whether it be Bristol Braille or any other company that can get the full-page tablet on the market, it's going to make a huge difference in terms of education. Have you seen a working Bly tab? Very briefly. And how many lines of Braille did it have? I think it was eight, eight or nine. It was a while ago. And do you remember how many cells per line? No. <laughs> did you feel the Bly tab refresh? Yeah, it was um, a fairly slow refresh, and it was uh, kind of noisy. Canute from Bristol Braille Technology has nine lines of 40 cells. That also is slower than conventional Braille displays to refresh, but um, by the time you've finished reading the first line, the second line's there, and it does a, a kind of a ripple refresh, so it, it refreshes a line at a time. Have you seen the Canute? That I have not seen, but I think you have, right? Like, you're pretty actively involved with that? project that's right yes we work quite closely with bristol braille technology and uh, hoping to be at csun in march there's also piezo electric displays and there are a few new products in the last year or so actolino of course from help tech you've commented about that at some length in your article so we probably don't want to duplicate that now the focus that's had a refresh a new, more rugged, more robust version of that available? It's a lot more rugged. I have one here, the 40-cell version. The 14-cell version, version rather came out last month. Now, the 40 has been out for a few months, and uh, 
I really like it. Uh, much better build than previous versions, and I have not seen the 14 yet, but the 40 has a case that looks very much like what you get from executive products when you purchase a case for another display. So a little bulky, a little long for portable use, but it's short enough that you could use it portably if you needed to, and it has the option to connect up to five Bluetooth devices. The other company that has um, a new Braille display almost released is uh, Humanware, their little Brilliant. Yeah, I've not seen that one yet. Um, I've read about it. I wrote a brief article about it last year when they first announced it. I think it has an interesting feature. You know, they were working on this with Harpo, who are the Mountbatten Brailler people. They developed an app for that previously. Interesting concept of being able to sync internal notes through your iDevice to exchange accounts, but I have not seen that one at all. Have you? Uh, yes, I, I met with Greg Stilson while he was still at Humanware back last year at uh, Site City in Germany, and he had the new Brilliant 14 cells and touch sensitive cursor routing, and then the ability to sync with the notes on your iDevice or on Outlook or Google, I believe. So I think that's on its way very soon. Yeah, we uh, we hope so. Um, <laughs> I know that everyone's a little skeptical of anything that's not out yet, uh, and rightfully so, I think, at this point. A lot of companies have made a lot of promises and have not followed through. So, you know, we'll we'll see when it comes out and what happens with it. And that's what really has inspired me to move forward with not only braille technology but technology in general it's giving people equal access to information whether that's someone who is low vision and has normal hearing or maybe low vision totally deaf or blind uh, with some hearing loss or whatever the case is technology can really be used to bridge the gaps between what we have access to and what everyone else has access to Scott Davitt, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dave. And if you'd like to read Scott's blog on AppleViz, you can go to appleviz.com slash blog slash Scott dash Davitt. And that's Scott with two T's and Davitt is spelt D-A-V-E-R-T. You can also find Scott's Braille display reviews in Access World from the afb.org website. You've been listening to Brailcast, and I'm Dave Williams. If you have any comments, feedback, suggestions, and all that good stuff, you can email news at brailcast.com or contact us on Twitter at Brailcast. Thanks for listening, and until next time, bye for now. 